Our reading comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 34. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup? I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Everybody all right? Good, 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 good. It's been a wild morning. We had church and then meeting and then we're having church again, but this time I have more time. I had, to, I had to deliver the shortest message I've ever preached in my entire adult life just this morning. And I, I guess my entire life because I didn't preach when I was, before I was an adult. Now, okay, so my name is Tommy. Good to meet you guys. And uh, um, uh, I'm now going to take a sermon that I had just preached that I fit somehow in about 20 minutes. I get to relax and open it up a little farther. I mean, I'm not going to, don't worry, I'm not going to go too far. But, um, and I know you're thinking, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tommy, that is a massive piece of scripture that you're going to squeeze into a tiny, a tiny little sermon. I know. That's what's so fun about this. Okay, now, um, I'm going to start off with a word of prayer and then we're going to go right here. And uh, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to equip you with a whole bunch of ways to look at this passage that you likely have not seen, um, and uh, I'm going to tie this whole thing together. It seems like three different um, stories, but they're not. They're all a story about the same thing, and I'm going to show this to you today, and then I'm going to give you some stuff to talk about at your house churches, all right? So why don't we pray, and, uh, and, and we'll jump into this passage, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I ask that uh, you would be very present with us here this morning. Give us, uh, give us peace. Help us to be calm. Help us to receive life as, as the gift that it is. We are here this morning. We are awake and alive with breath in our lungs and clothing on our backs and food in our bellies, and it's all a gift. And uh, we have community. We have family. 
with us here this morning. We have been um, invited to take part in a family, to be a part of a family that, uh, that is bigger than us, that is big and beautiful and, and, and is, is working for change in the world. Thank you for that. I ask that uh, you would give us some new perspectives this morning, new ways to read your, your word, and uh, new ways to see Jesus. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Okay. So. This is the center, this sentence right here uh, in verse 17, uh, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, is the centerpiece of this entire passage, really of the entirety of chapter 20. I'm focusing on the second half of chapter 20. Um, I'll point out a few things. Uh, whenever you read about going to Jerusalem, you'll always, it, they will always in scripture say, going up to Jerusalem, they went up to Jerusalem. Um, and whenever you are leaving Jerusalem in the Bible, it would, there will be, they went down from Jerusalem or down to wherever. Even if you're going north or south, it's going to be down. Jerusalem was the pinnacle. It was the top of the whole thing. It was, um, it was the, ascent, the, the place that you would ascend to. It was the center of all Israel's story, the entire thing. It was the center of their past, the center of their future, the center of their present. Um, there was, in chapter 16... This announcement, Jesus looks at Peter. It's the very center of the book of Matthew. Matthew hinges on one particular line um, in its entire book. And the whole thing leads up to this line. From this line, the whole thing leads down, down, down. Um, everything is happy and it's teaching. And then, and then from this one line, it starts to go downwards into suffering. And that line is very simple. Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, who do you think, th- who, who do the, who do you think that I am? And Peter replies and says, you are the Messiah. Um, this is a Jewish way of saying it's, it's, the word, it's a word that simply means uh, anointed one, which means king. Um, it, is, it is when a Jewish, a Jewish man became king, they would anoint him with oil. And this was the proclamation that like, this is God's anointed one that sits on the throne. Now, um, Jesus asked this question. Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And the very next thing that happens is they turn and they start heading to Jerusalem. And here we are continuing towards Jerusalem. Now, um, the question I want to lay out for you is why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Why? Um, This is a huge question and it means everything to the Jewish people. It makes perfect sense that Jesus would turn and head towards Jerusalem after this proclamation. And, And this is where everything else would happen. Everything is heading towards Jerusalem because Jesus is king. And if Jesus is king, um, the king's got to sit on his throne. Um, Jerusalem was the city where the king ruled from. David built a palace there, sat on the throne there. It is the place where every king of Israel sat and ruled the people of Israel from. And Jesus, from the little placard on top of his cross, uh, even though it's mocking, is called the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews has a throne to sit on and a palace to live in, and that is found in the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is going to Jerusalem because he is the king, and he's going to sit on the throne. That is what is happening here. Modern day Christians don't realize this because we have so separated Christianity from first century Judaism, even though Jesus was Jewish and all the early Christians were Jewish Christians, they understand why exactly why he's going to Jerusalem. They have no questions about this. Modern Christianity over the last couple thousand years has become very anti-Semitic and separated ourselves from that unnecessarily. Um, when Jesus says, now Jesus was going to Jerusalem, the early readers are like, of course he is. We know exactly why he's going to sit on the throne, which raises some interesting questions then why didn't Jesus sit on the throne? What you will notice in the book of Matthew is, is you are given what, what you think things should look like. That is brought up, 
And then Jesus gives an explanation of how things actually are. You think a king should live like this, should sit on the throne like this, should rule like this. Why? Because that's what earthly kings have always done. We think the reason a king should sit on the throne and wear fancy clothes and have lots of money and and be super famous, the reason that should happen is because earthly kings do this. And Jesus is here to redefine what it means to be king, to redefine what it means uh, to rule over the people of Israel. And so he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, And they're all expecting him to say, I'm going to sit on my throne. He says, when I get there, I'm going to be arrested by the religious leaders. I'm going to stand trial before the earthly governments. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be put to death. And then I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And you know what they do? This is the third time Jesus has said this. And every single time he says this, they stand around going, what do you think that means? I don't know. It's some, (laughs) some sort of rabbinical riddle. Ooh, I don't know. What does it mean? And he's like, no, I'm literally going to be killed and rise from the dead. I don't get it. Can you... Literally one of them says, and they sat and pondered to themselves what he meant. It's like not meaning anything. He's just telling you, like, this is what's going to happen. Um, when I get there, this is how it's going to go. Because they have a way in their mind of how things are supposed, are supposed to go. You have thoughts in your mind of how things are supposed to be. What it means to follow Jesus. What it means for somebody to have power. What it means for somebody to have prestige. And Jesus is here to tell you, you're wrong about all of it. Okay? The way you think power functions is not the way power functions. The way you think you should interact with people who are powerful and kingly and whatever is not the way you should actually interact with them. Um, and that is what Matthew is doing with this passage because here's the thing. We, the, the tone is set with Jesus walking towards Jerusalem to become king, to sit on his throne uh, in the way that Jesus shows you how it is supposed to be done. And while this is happening, two things happen um, that connect right after this. These two things seem not connected at all, but they are actually identical. They are the same thing um, being pitched from two different sides. Um, and, it, and all is centered around, when you step back and look at this whole thing, the whole thing is centered around the heart of the people making the request. And uh, I'm going to point out some stuff to you this morning and make this whole thing sort of come together as, as one. So the first thing that happens as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem after t- literally telling them what's about to happen. By the way, next week... Um, this is going to go even deeper because next week is the story of the triumphal entry, which is exactly what happens to kings when they walk into the city in the Roman Empire. But that's next week. Um, now, uh, so Jesus is walking down the road to the city of Jerusalem to become king in the way that Jesus knows how to become king. Um, first thing that happens is this woman runs in front of him and gets down on her knees and stops him from walking any farther, like stops his, his, his movement. Um, and she has a request to make. It says then, verse twenty twenty one. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. Zebedee's sons, um, uh, James and John. They are disciples of Jesus. Uh, She came to Jesus with with her sons, kneeling down, and asked a favor of him. Uh, What is it that you want, he asked. So, I'm going to get to that in a second. I was going to jump ahead. I'm not going to do that yet. Okay, this is the first thing that happens. A woman stops stops his travels, gets down on her knees, and stops him. Uh, And she has a request, and Jesus looks at her and says, what do you want? Now, next verse, uh, 30 through 32, we jump down to the next story. Uh, Two blind men were sitting uh, by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David. Son of David is, it's a Jewish way, again, of saying king. They had so many ways of saying king, um, because they believed the king would be a Davidic king, which means a descendant of David. So saying Son of David means 
I know that you're the king of Israel, okay? So the, the, the blind beggars, uh, there's two of them. Uh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them, what is it that you want, he asked. Same question, two different people. Um, not only that, both of them interrupted Jesus. It was, we know from scriptures, one of the jobs of the disciples, and we know this from, from uh, rabbinical tradition as well, one of the jobs of the disciples was to make sure the rabbi could continue in his work, that he was not interrupted. It was a disgrace to ever interrupt a rabbi when he was on the move, because he's going somewhere important, and he's doing important work, far more important than anything any of us could ever do. So you do not interrupt the rabbi, which is why you will see the disciples stopping um, the woman who is bleeding from coming to Jesus. You will see them stopping beggars from coming to Jesus. You will see them stopping children from coming to Jesus. Because in their eyes, these are people of low value and low status and community. None of them matter. What matters is that the rabbi does his work. It's for the good of all of you. So we will not let you stop them. And Jesus is constantly saying, no, no, let them come. Let him come. He's not interested in playing their games, okay? Um, So this woman literally gets in front and stops her. Now, ponder something. It says that she uh, she came to him with her son. So she's on her knees. Her sons are behind her. How many times have her sons stopped people from coming to Jesus? How many times have they said, how dare you interrupt the rabbi with your request? His work is very important. Um, Mark actually doesn't mention her mother, Mark says it's them. Mark puts all the blame where it belongs, right? Um, Matthew gives an extra detail and says, no, it was her mother. Um, And it's hilarious because all these people that these two, these two guys have stopped from coming to Jesus, yet when their mother says, you know what I'm going to ask for? I'm going to ask for him uh, to let you rule along his side of him. They're like, I don't think we should stop her. We should let her do that. We should just let this happen. Just see where it goes. it's just a request. So just you know, we'll just be. We'll just be like, oh, I didn't know she was going to ask this, right? So, um, mother, you're embarrassing me. Stop it. Um, okay. So, this happens, and they let it happen. Second, so so she is she's doing a disgraceful thing in the eyes of the Jewish people and stopping a rabbi from moving on his way and doing his work. The second thing that happens in the second story is that the two blind people are shouting. It was it was known that when a rabbi was moving through a crowd, he would be teaching always. Always teaching, never ceasing to talk about the law, to interpret the law, to give one-liners, rabbinical sort of riddles for people to think about. We don't have any details of what he's talking about or anything. Maybe we do, and they're just not in this place. Um, However, these guys are shouting, and people are upset about it. Why? Because they can't hear. Um, And the people yell at them, and they say, says the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd wants to hear what Jesus has to talk about. It's rabbinical talk, and it's incredibly important. It's the most important information that there is. How dare these guys interrupt this rabbi and stop his teaching from happening? And they don't care. They have something that they need, and they're calling out. So, both of them stop Jesus in his tracks. Both of them interrupt his work in a disgraceful way. Both of them are asked by Jesus. He turns and says, what is it that you want? It's the same story. Two times. Both of which are on Jesus' path to sit on the throne as king. So he's ascending to become the king. Matthew's brilliant. He's ascending to become the king. And on the way to becoming king, two things happen that are identical but have different motives. And it shows the response that Jesus has. Um, And Matthew honestly wants you to ponder all of this. He wants you to ponder the requests because it is likely that you would have the same request of, of one of these two. 
And it is likely that someone else that maybe you look down upon would have the same request of one of the other people. So, um, let's go a little farther. Both of these requests were selfish. Let's be honest. They were both requests for things that they wanted. The first one was proximity to royalty, proximity to power. They wanted to sit. She wanted her sons, James and John, to sit on the, on the seats next to the throne of Jesus in Jerusalem. She says, when you get to your throne, so she even says it, when you get to Jerusalem and sit on your throne. She's not talking about some heaven a long ways away. She's literally talking about, hey, in three days when you get there, however long it takes them to get there, when you get there, pull a couple chairs out for my boys. All right? Um, her request is for honor and privilege and royalty she thinks this is what um, the kingdom of God has to offer God's people, um, which is exactly what the, the, the large percentage of the Jewish people believed, that, that their people would be put on a higher level than everyone else, which is why it was so difficult to understand and accept Gentiles coming into the church later, because they believed they were some sort of royalty and that there would be this huge hierarchy when in fact the kingdom of Christ is upside down and it's just level everyone together. So that is her request. And to her request, Jesus has an answer, a rebuke, if you will. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first become your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For you and I, this is old hat. We've heard this a lot because we've had the Bible a long time now. This was likely one of the first times this ever clicked with them, that the kingdom of Jesus is going to be upside down, that it is not going to function like any kingdom of the world. In the cosmic hierarchy, which we've been talking about the last three weeks, when you look at this lens, um, he is teaching you what it means to rule over, and that means to serve and to take care of. And so to think that somehow God desire is for you to have any proximity to power and to climb that ladder is antithetical to the very gospel of Christ. That is not what Jesus is asking that you go for in this world at all. Um, So this is Jesus' answer to the woman. He says, this is not how this is going to work. I don't think you fully understood. It's almost like he looks at her and he's like, have you understood anything that I've said? I, I think you've just, it's gone way over your head and you've missed it. Okay, so he just spells it out here. The slave, we know, if you've been with us, the slave was the, was the lowest uh, form of existence in the world. It was uh, a person, a human being who was just owned. Um, oftentimes they would have names like useful or, or takes notes or, you know, like hard worker. Or they just would give them random names so that you could call them out. Onesimus, the slave that Paul writes about, that literally means useful. His name is, hey, get useful and bring him over here. We need him. <laughs> Not this guy, the useless, get him out of here. Uh, Name change. Now, um, so this is Jesus' answer to this woman. He rebukes her. When it comes to the beggars, Jesus says, what is it that you want? And they say, you know, here's the thing. They could have asked for anything. It it was well known that if you ask a rabbi for money, you're going to get money. Um, Because they're going to display justice. That was one of the roles that they had. Um, But they didn't ask for money. These were blind beggars. This was their their job. They, they couldn't work. They were impure. They couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't do anything. All they could do was sit on the side of the road in the same place every day and beg and beg and beg for money. 
And they hear that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, and they probably hear his rabbinical teaching. And they start calling out because they recognize who this person is, and they believe that this is the one they've been waiting for. And they're calling out, King, over here, King. And he comes over to them and he says, What is it that you want? They don't ask for money, they don't ask for power. They don't ask, they don't rub elbows and want to build a relationship. We just want to network. Um, They don't do any of that. You know what they say? Open our eyes. We just want to see. That's all we want. We have, probably have wives and children that they've never seen, never laid eyes on. They live in the city of Jerusalem where the temple, the most magnificent Jewish structure on earth exists and they can't see it. They can't see anything. All they want is to be made whole. So their request is for wholeness the way human beings are supposed to be with all their senses intact. And Jesus, here's his response. It says Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. Immediately they received uh, their sight and they followed him. Now, uh, the word compassion, you might just think it's just like he just had an emotional feeling. The word compassion in the, in the Greek is this word uh, splanknizomai. Everyone say splanknizomai. So splank, the word, it comes from splagnon, which refers to your bowels. Um, it's a beautiful word. Um, so it refers to your bowels, your inner, in, your large intestine, really, basically, is what they're talking about. Um, a visceral gut reaction. It's that like, oh, it's that pain in your gut when something happens or you've been found out or just emotion hits you instantly. Um, and the second half uh, is the word nizomai, which means to wash or cleanse. So Jesus had this guttural pain and reaction that he wanted desperately for these guys to be made whole. He looked at them and he heard their, their cries and he, it's like he could see into their hearts and see everything that they had missed and everything that they desired and he, his, he aches and he has compassion on them. And he looks at them and it says, he had compassion on them. He touched their eyes and immediately they received their, their sight uh, and they followed him. Some of their translations will say, they became his disciples. Um, again, Jesus had 12 disciples, and then he had about 72 outer ring of disciples. That's likely what they became a part of. And then there was another outer ring of about 500 disciples uh, that there were. Um, these guys became disciples of Jesus. Matthew has framed this entire thing on the road to Jerusalem. The king is going to Jerusalem. He's going to need people to serve alongside him in his cabinet. On the way, he rebukes two of his own who desire power. And on the way, he picks up two new disciples to serve with him, who everyone else has rejected and told to shut up. And he picks them up and says, you guys are with me. This is how Matthew frames all of this. He wants his congregation. Matthew is a pastor of a church, the Matthean church. And he wants his congregation of Jewish Christians to sit and ponder the ways that they've thought about the kingdom of God, ponder the ways they've thought about what it means to follow God um, and what they get out of it, the question, what do you want? Um, and he wants them to ponder this and repent. Because a lot of people, when they make their requests, when they really sit down and ask the question, what do they want? Is it, is it to sit at my right or left is not for me to go? Is it to sit at the right or left, the seats of power? Jesus turns to this woman. He gathers his disciples together and says, this is not for me to grant. Why are you asking me for this? This is not my job. I am not here to pick who's going to rule over you. Um, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. He says, he says, some will end up with power and some will not. Stop asking me for it. 
This should not be one of the desires. What do you want is the question that he has. And he wants you to ponder, what is it that you actually want? There, are, there is this disturbing culture in evangelicalism today uh, with the celebrity Christian, right? We're like, we think to follow Jesus, um, we come to Jesus with this thought of like, I can climb a ladder and get well known and get a lot of respect and power and I can rub elbows with world leaders. And like, this is, Jesus is like, this has never been the intention of any of this. Your desire should be, for wholeness. That is your desire. When you ask the question, when you, when, you, when you sit in silence and you ponder the things of God and you meditate upon God's word and you bring your request to God, his response likely should be ringing in your mind, what is it that you want though? I know you want like money and you want prestige and you want all of these things. I don't think you realize that this is how earthly kingdoms work. You, you no longer belong to these earthly kingdoms and like none of that has any sway in my world. And when all is said and done, all that's going to be gone. That will not be around. What is it that you want, though? My desire is that you want wholeness. That's what God wants you to desire, wholeness. That's what he wants you to pray for for yourself. That's what he wants you to pray for for other people. Just wholeness, because wholeness in any situation um, can still be had. In, 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 in hard times, in beautiful times, in grand times, in poor times, wholeness is the desire of the Christian because we look around and we see that the world is broken and we see the part that we have played in it and we repent and we desire wholeness for ourselves and wholeness for others. When people come to the church for requests, um, the, 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 the thing that should be crying out to us is that look for those who are looking for wholeness. Those who have great marketable skills and are climbing the ladder, honestly, are, are of far less concern to Jesus than you think they are. Strong leaders are of far less concern than Jesus. Like I, most of our seminaries now um, have so much funding and gearing towards leadership. But what we really need it towards is compassion and wholeness. And the desire to learn to pour ourselves out for other people. And so there's this whole conversation in this passage if you read it. And I want you to read it as a house church. Read the part about the cup where it says, it says, I don't think you know what you're asking for. Are you ready to drink the cup that I am drinking from? That's what Jesus says. And the disciples say, yeah, we're ready. We, we're ready for the cup. Empty belly. Hand it to me. Bottoms up. Give me the cup. I know you're going to be king. I want to drink from the king's cup. And Jesus says, you will. You will drink from the king's cup. You, you will absolutely drink from what I have. This was before they were reformed, right? Like before, I don't mean reformed like theologically, before they were reformed as, as human beings, like before they were made whole, before they were, like before they moved from this nationalistic Jewish people to this like kingdom of God, the expanding of the people of Israel to include the whole world. And now Jesus sits on a throne whose land is everything. And his temple is not just in Jerusalem, it's us. It's the body of Christ that gathers together and his, his kingdom is the entirety of the world. And then we realize, oh, we don't need these earthly kings, we have King Jesus. Like, before they were opened up to that, when Jesus says, you're going to drink from my cup, they were probably like, yes! awesome royalty and he's like I don't think you understand what this is and after Jesus dies after the resurrection it all sort of dawns on them and they awaken as they start traveling the world teaching about Jesus has been risen and glorified and now the world today is different than it was yesterday everything is made new now there is a new king there is a new way to live there is a new kingdom Uh, forget the rest of it come with us come with us to follow our king um and as these guys were awakening to this, they come to awaken also to what it means to drink from the cup of Christ. So what did that look like in their lives? 
it looked very different than what they expected and honestly from what we expect. They were brothers and they, and they serve God in the same way. They follow Jesus the same way. You expect them to get the same thing, but it's not, they don't. The cups that have been prepared for them are wildly different. James, for instance, turns out was the very first apostle to be martyred. He was killed. Acts chapter 12 talks about this. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. You know why they're being arrested? Because they're standing up saying, Jesus is Lord, which means Herod is not Lord. They're committing high treason, and the Christians are rounded up and they're killed. And they find James here, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, and and he put to death with the sword. Just runs him through and kills him. He was likely a teenager at this point. Very young. And he goes to his death. He gets run through with a sword, looking in the eyes of somebody who was a citizen of the kingdom of Herod. And he says, I reject your king, I reject your government, I reject your military, and your ways of bringing peace to the world by the sword are laughable. Jesus is Lord, Um, he rules by a cross, and and salvation comes not at the end of the sword, but with a towel washing the feet of those around you. And he is killed, instantly. He's the first disciple to die. John was different. James, the cup James drank from was martyrdom. John, however, was wildly different. John... Um, from the writings of the church fathers, we can gather he lived in Ephesus the majority of his life. Um, he lived in Ephesus until the time he was probably about 100 years old. And John's cup that he drank from turns out to be this lifetime of intense, difficult service, of being there and being a light for a small group of Christians in a city that was entirely dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperors. And yet he led them and filled them up and taught them about his personal rabbi that he had, Jesus of Nazareth, and how Jesus became king of the world. And he would sit with these people, and day in and day out, he would cry with them and laugh with them and dedicate their children and bury their mothers, and he would, he would, he would serve alongside of them his entire life and die an old man. He was the only one. It's fascinating. James was the first one to die. John was the only one to not be a martyr. The cup that Jesus calls us to, it's very different Each and every one of us um, has something very different that we are called to. For some of us, it is a daily committing um, to a life of service that maybe goes unnoticed or that is difficult, but we are here and we find wholeness and we're helping other people find wholeness. And that is maybe the cup that you are drawn to. For others, it is all poured out in this one huge grand moment, this grand display of, of you have to make a choice now, who really is king? And you make your choice and you suffer for it. And that is some people whose, that's the cup that some will drink. It is different for all of us. It is not the same. There's a lot of people out there preaching and teaching that the gospel, that, that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and rich and famous and have large influence, right? And they're, all you have to do is read the Bible and see that things, a lot of people were very, very godly, loved Jesus and followed him far better than any of us ever could and things went very bad for them. So for Matthew to paint this story of Jesus is going to take his throne and on the way he rebukes some of his disciples and he picks up some new ones, ponder who they were. It's like, oh. And the early church has to sit and meditate upon all of this and compare that to their own lives. There is the, there's, this, there's this coin that I saw early on in my, in my biblical studies of the Roman Empire years ago, and I haven't been able to find it since. Interestingly enough, somebody actually found it for me this morning on the internet. I, I searched and searched for this coin. I couldn't find it. Somebody's like, quick Google search. Was oh, this it? Yeah, that's it. 
but he didn't give it to me, so I can't show it to you. But here's some other ones. Um, but there was this Roman coin that I think was brilliant. Uh, on one side, there's an ox, okay, just standing there, looking kind of stupid, looking at the camera. I don't know, it was a carving on a coin. Um, and above it, it says Augustus, it's Caesar. Uh, it's for the people who followed Caesar as Lord. On the other side, you flip the coin over, there's two images. There's one that has a, um, it's an altar. Um, I believe this is an altar as well, right over here. Uh, one of, it's an altar on the, on the left side, and on the right side of the coin, there is a, um, a plow. And there is a, an engraving in Greek, and it says, ready for anything. And I, I love that. Like, the cow doesn't know whether or not it's going to be sacrificed on the altar, or whether or not it's going to have to pull this plow year after year after year so that something can grow and people can be fed. But that cow is ready. Be the ready cow. Is that my application? Be the ready, the cow that's ready. Now, um, in all of this, like, we don't know what we are called to, but we are called to be ready. That, that means asking yourself the difficult question, what is it that you actually want? In your requests, ponder your requests. What are you actually after? Is it for you? Is it, I mean, wholeness is for you as well, but wholeness is not just for you. Wholeness is for everyone. Wholeness is for you. When you are whole, your entire family knows it. They feel it. Which is why you should be practicing spiritual disciplines. Which is why you should be regularly fasting and praying and meditating upon the things of God. Taking communion. Pouring yourself out for those around you. Um, taking a Sabbath. Because when you find wholeness, the people around you tend to find wholeness as well. Seek wholeness. Ponder your requests that you have. What are they actually about? And some people, upon making these requests to our king, will be called to repent. It's great. Others will be made whole. Others will find exactly what they need. By the way, being called to repent and being rebuked might be exactly what you need. Step towards wholeness. Accept it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. Um, our communion servers, you guys can go and you can take the elements and spread around the room. There are two elements in communion. There's, there's the bread and there's the wine. The bread is the body of Christ broken for you. The wine is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, this is how our king brings healing and wholeness to the world. It is not through military might. It is not through displays of, of, uh, of power. It is, it is through humble service, dying, allowing, uh, allowing the sins of the world to just wash over us, receiving the pain of them, and dying under the weight of them, and then rising above. Allowing ourselves to be broken and poured out for those around us. Yes, it hurts. It's difficult. This is what we are called to. This is what being followers and citizens of the kingdom of God means. This is what it means to be restored into our delegated form of rule in this world. We are here to sacrificially bring healing and wholeness to the world around us. Everyone who is below you should be lifted above you. Every single one of them. So, um, our community servers are coming. Let's spend some time in prayer. I want you to ponder your regular requests that you have. I want you to ask them again this morning. Ask for those same requests. Don't change them. Ask for them. And then ask yourself after that, though, what is it that I really want out of this? It is possible that you're asking for something that you think will make you whole, but it actually will make you worse. Ponder that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for guiding us. Be our king, ascend to our throne once again, and show us what royalty actually looks like in your kingdom. 
Help us to repent of our earthly kings and lords, whatever our idols that we're chasing after, whatever they are. Jesus is Lord. They are not. In your name. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.